0: Hi! Welcome to the Top Fermented Podcast on this Monday, December 3rd, 2012. Today we're going to talk about the three-tier system. Um, Mystery Brewing Company, my lovely brewery, has been in the lookout for a distributor for some time now, and so the three-tier system has been on my mind, so I thought it might be interesting to talk about. Uh, And a lot of it is just defining what the three-tier system is for people, and sort of giving an idea of what it looks like for... um, for, for from a brewery's perspective. and So I, I thought it might be an interesting topic to discuss. So the three-tier system, uh, when we're talking about it in terms of beer and distribution, is uh, the brewery-distributor-retailer relationship. So that means that there has to be three tiers in order for uh, beer to get to market. In brewing, some people talk about the five-tier system, since all parts of the chain have the ability to affect product quality and that would be the ingredient supplier, the brewery, the distributor, the retailer, and the consumer. But uh, when we're really talking about getting beer to market, you know, okay, we assume the beer is going to be good. We, do, we assume it's going to be served correctly and all that good stuff. We're really talking about three tiers. So brewery, distributor, and retailer. So where it all comes from is really interesting. So the three-tier system is an artifact of the repeal of prohibition. It's Designed to make alcohol distribution deliberately inefficient by requiring a middleman in the process of getting beer from the from the brewery to the retailer. So the reason that that exists is because uh, a lot of the reasons that uh, prohibition was supposedly put into into place. And I think it's it was a very very complex piece of legislation uh, prohibition, I don't think it can re- be really be tied down to one specific thing. I think there was a lot of temperance for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the big things that that uh, the history books generally point to is this uh, huge problem with overconsumption and binge drinking, and they, it's generally tied to the uh, ver- vertical integration of the distribution system and the, the fact that these large breweries who had a lot of really strong political control um, and economical control also had control of the places in which the beer was being served and, uh, and given to customers. So what that meant is that a brewery could make uh, all this beer and then sell it directly to a tide house and not even sell it just you know deliver it directly to a tide house which was owned by uh, or a, a tavern was what a tide house is a tavern that's owned by the brewery itself thus tied uh, and so they can deliver it directly to a tavern and sell it directly to the consumer for a really ridiculously cheap price. Uh, which really um, encourages binge drinking, because if you can get a lot of a mind-altering substance for a very, very small amount of money, then it's very easy to overconsume. And... uh so that was pretty rampant in society, and so this is one of the reasons this pointed to for prohibition coming in. And so what they were really trying to do when they repealed prohibition was stopping that from happening again. You know, yes, get alcohol back into society because that stops people from doing it illegally and, you know, not having control over it, uh, but, you know, let's do it in a responsible way so that uh, we can try to stem this overconsumption problem. So by making the the distribution system uh, willfully inefficient, that actually increases the cost of alcohol across the board, uh, and it decreases the ease of of getting it. Right, so uh, if you have to have a brewery sell to a distributor, then sell to a retailer, it makes it much more difficult to get that beer or alcohol or you know liquor or anything there efficiently and cost efficiently, because you have to pay employees at every tier, and you have to pay for uh, in you know distribution at every tier, really, you have to get you know get it to a distributor. The distributor has to get it to a retailer. The retailer has to get it to a customer. It it puts all of these different uh, um, mechanisms, mechanisms in place uh, in the way from the brewery to the retailer. Uh, the other thing that they did, which also makes distribution more difficult, is they set up the states' rights thing uh, in terms of distribution and uh, alcohol laws. So what it means is that every state, and indeed every single jurisdiction within every state, has the ability to regulate their own alcohol laws. And so uh, from a state-level perspective, you know, uh, the, the laws here in North Carolina are very different than the laws that everywhere else in the country. And so from if you're a brewery and you're trying to look at lo- large distribution, you have to meet the law requirements in every single state that you're distributing to you. It's great if you're a small brewery, you know, like we just have to meet North Carolina laws, you know, we don't even have to deal with federal laws unless we're looking at uh, going out of state in a lot of cases. But uh, for the most part, uh, we just—you know—it's it, uh, uh, the for a large brewery to go throughout other states. You have to have uh, different distribution uh, licensing in every state, and you have to have label approval in every state. And it's just this entire uh, huge problem in terms of getting uh, into interstate commerce, which is again. ...on purpose to try to make things more inefficient and really control the stem uh, the the flow of alcohol. So, the reason that the three-tier system is really interesting to me is that there's a lot of people who actually really hate the three-tier system... ...and these are mostly drinkers, as far as I can tell. Uh, you find a lot of people who are really into craft, who really dislike the three-tier system... And I think it has a lot to do with this view that the distributors are sort of like endemically evil. Um, And a lot of that comes out of Beer Wars, uh, this movie that came out a couple years ago. And I I don't want to say that it's a bad movie. It's actually a really interesting movie. Um, And to give you a brief synopsis of the movie, it follows Rhonda Coleman, who used to be an executive at Sam Adams, who uh, in the movie is starting a new brand of beer called Moonshot. It's a caffeinated lager. Uh, it's actually, they, they don't really get into this, but it's actually not her first brand. She also uh, runs Edison Light up in uh, Massachusetts, so she already has a, succef- a successful brand on top of that. Successful, I guess, in s- somewhat quotes. It's a regional, small regional brand. It's not like a giant national brand or anything. Uh, and it also follows Sam Calagione in his, uh, you know, I'm getting uh, a, a, craft brewery up and going. Uh, and that's even a little disingenuous because it follows him as this like really, uh, like, you know, hokey, like I'm starting up this small, tiny brewery thing, except that Sam is, you know, something like the 11th largest brewer in the country, at least in terms of the craft brewers. I mean, they it's, it's a, big brewery. Uh, but it's a really interesting look at how the, at how the market works and how distribution works and everything like that. It just follows this uh, sort of flawed premise that the distributors are are, um, by default evil and trying to get one over on breweries. And I think that is somewhat true uh, in a lot of cases. I do think the distributors very much have their own agenda, and especially the ones that are tied to very big beer houses um, have uh, an agenda to follow that is set by the big beer houses, and I'll I'll get into that in a second. Um, But that's not a very good view of the entire industry. So there are actually a lot of small craft distributors that are actually very interested in moving um, craft and really helping the small market grow and everything like this. Um, and a, a lot of the reason that that's not in there is because it was made years ago and uh, those small distributors really weren't a very big part of the market yet and they were still just growing and fighting their way up through um, through the market. And there also were not a lot of retailers that were as interested in craft either. You have to uh, you know remember that just now, uh, in 2012 craft is something like six percent of the market by volume uh, and you know that's at a growth rate over the past 30 years uh, we've been growing every single year and we're all the way up to six percent of the entire market and it's just not a really large portion of the market and so there's also by that same level not a lot of distribution that is carrying craft because there's just not that craft that much craft out there you know overall the thing that I think is interesting to remember is that if we didn't have a three-tier system, we wouldn't have a craft industry. And this is something that I just can't underscore enough. Um, the The craft beer segment would not exist without the three-tier system. If you really think about it, these guys who were getting up and running during the 1980s, um, Sierra Nevada, uh, you know, uh, even New Belgium... Um, Sam Adams, all these really early pioneers in the beer movement. Uh, you know, they're a small brewery somewhere in the country, and they're trying to get their beer out there. And they don't have the personal resources in order to distribute their beer everywhere in, say, the state of California, or hell, across state lines into you know five, six, eight states around them. That can only happen with the three tier system. And especially because if it was really up to the big guys selling their their brands and, you know, if it was vertically integrated and they were just pushing their own brands, they would have absolutely no reason to pick up beer from another brewery and distribute it. And so it's it's really, really important that that the three-tier system exists so that these guys can get their beer out there uh, so that other people can be inspired by it and start their own breweries and grow. And every single one of those other little breweries, you know, does the same thing where they get to go out and, you know, get a distributor who probably says, yeah, whatever, I'll sell this piddly beer, I don't care. You know, something local in a little tiny corner of the market distributes beer, and it turns out to be a really nice little side business, and so that grows and grows and grows, and all of a sudden you've got got another craft brand. And that is the only reason that we have a craft industry now is because those guys were able to get in on a three-tier system that wasn't tied down by these large corporations, at least in a strictly legal sense. So, that all said, why Mystery is looking into distribution, and then we'll get back into uh, all these other matters, um, sort of tied into the same thing. So, uh, with Mystery, we originally wanted to self-distribute, it was really important to self-distribute, and we actually have been self-distributing for almost a year now. Uh, And so, in North Carolina, you're allowed to self-distribute up to 25,000 barrels, uh, in, in yearly production. And that accounts for every small brewery in the state. Uh, there's not a brewery in the state that is obligated to use a distributor. Over 25,000 barrels, you're obligated to use a distributor. Uh, so we opted to self-distribute. We're one of the only ones that does. It's uh, out of 60-some breweries in the state, there are you know something like 50-some of them that are using a distributor of some sort. You know, It might be a small distributor, but they're using a distributor. Uh, or they're a brew pub and they don't distribute at all so um so the reason that we wanted to do it was because I felt that it was very important to establish the value of our own brand going out into bars and really selling it ourselves and on top of that uh because we have a a very unique business plan, the seasonal only business plan, we felt that it would be very difficult to to release that immediately into a a distributor's hands and uh trust them to treat it correctly because it's a hard sell to people even when you know what you're talking about, and when they're big craft fans, they still don't really get it right the first time. Uh, and so to give that to a distributor right out of the gate, you know, without really defining our brand in the market, and trusting them to represent that correctly, I thought was a really big gamble. And so we wanted to self-distribute. What it turns out, though, is that distribution is a really, really difficult job. And as we're getting larger and growing... Uh, You know, we're at 65 or 70 accounts now in North Carolina. Uh, It turns out to be a lot of work to get beer out into the market. And it's not like I'm really shying away from work. You know, I started a brewery after all. I work a lot. Um, But uh, it's actually starting to detract from the brewery business itself. So it, it turns out that we don't want to run a trucking company. Uh, In order to run distribution correctly, it really takes dozens of staff members. You need people out there selling constantly. You need people out there delivering constantly. You need a fleet of trucks. At least one or two trucks with drivers uh, that have insurance paid on them, and uh, you're paying for gas and repairs on those trucks, and those guys need to be out delivering beer all the time. And unless you want to pay for trucks and have them not used all the time, you need to sell wider and wider. So uh, it creates this sort of monster of a growth engine in which you need to sort of keep up with the sales in order to keep the distribution up, to make the distribution worth it, to support the sales. And we decided that we're really much more interested in the beer than we are in trucking uh, and delivering out there. And we found that when we were really getting bogged down with distribution our production was suffering and it had a lot to do with the fact that we're a very small staff we only have 4 people in total working in the brewery and when we had two or three of us out doing deliveries and just one person in the brewery making beer and taking care of everything uh we were having a hard time keeping up with both the quality and the quantity of the product uh you know so that we could distribute it and so we've been looking for a uh, for a A distributor in order to get that out in the market. It's a tough call for us, too, because we still run into that same problem where, uh, even though our brand is much more established, we're still very young, and so turning that seasonal-only brand over to distributors is is a very difficult prospect. Uh, It is something that is, you know, we really have to trust somebody to understand our product line very well, and so we've been looking much more at the very small distributors that are generally craft-only and, you know, are picking up really weird imports, or, you know, stuff like that, uh, and especially the ones that are picking up uh, a lot of Belgian and, uh, kind of wacky stuff, because we feel that they're much more likely to understand our product. So, <clears throat> now that that's out, let's talk about the future of dis- of the three-tier system and the future of distribution, because I think this is really interesting. Um, what it turns out is that there's only really uh, two big beer companies left in the in the u s right there's uh, there's a b and Bev and there's Miller Coors. there used to be three it used to be Bud Miller and Coors. Uh, Miller cores is in a joint venture to distribute uh, their beer in the u s and Canada so they really count as one uh, and a b Bev controls you know fifty plus percent of the market in the u s so they're the other big one. A lot of the major distributors in the country are big house distributors. And what that means is that they're aligned with Budweiser or they're aligned with Miller Coors. And um, and what that means, in turn, is that they are actually under uh, sort of an agreement, and not really a legal binding agreement so much as just an understood agreement, that they will move those brands first. Uh, Basically, the way it works is that if you're a Budweiser distributor, you agree... Uh, in essence, to move as much Budweiser and Budweiser products as possible uh, and make that a priority for moving those uh, uh, brands in return for support of the brands and the exclusive right to distribute it, which is a huge moneymaker, right? So if you're carrying AB Bev in uh, a large market, that means an enormous amount of money because every bar everywhere is going to be carrying some sort of Bud product plain and simple find a bar that doesn't have a bud product it's probably a small craft beer bar it's not a hooters or a restaurant bar or a you know sports bar or anything almost everything carries a bud product somewhere and so from a distribution standpoint if you have a bud product you've got it made you essentially don't even have to go sell the beer all you have to do is show up and drop stuff off and you're making money if those guys don't play by the rules that Budweiser sets on them, Budweiser can actually shift how they sell things. Um, so they either can threaten to remove the brand altogether and say, well, look, you know, we're not going to distribute through you anymore. We're going to go distribute through this other person who's willing to play by our rules, thereby essentially closing down your, dist- your distribution ship. Or they can actually shift the price on it and sell you beer more expensively, which means that you lose your bottom line. Uh, or at least are making less money on things, or having to sell Bud for more. Um, in places like North Carolina, you can't do that. You have to sell beer for the same amount to everybody. So, you know, one Bud distributor has to sell beer for the same price, or has to have beer sold to it for the same price as another Bud distributor. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, they can play games in in much different ways. Oh well, you know, you haven't been moving our product, so. Guess what? No more point-of-sale stuff. No, we're not going to pay for those banners anymore. Uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And they're such big customers for the distributors that they're really not... Um, it really essentially works out as an agreement. You have to move their products or you can actually see your own business crumble because they can pull out. It's uh, it's almost the same problem as the past, but not quite. Uh, at the same time, the big two are also working on ways around the distribution system, and this is on a national level, Um, There's been a lot of work lately for the big guys to start selling directly to retailers who manage their own distribution. And that's specifically Costco and Sam's Club. And these two retailers make up an enormous amount of retail beer sales every year. And they do all of their own distribution. So what happens is that, you know, for these guys, goods are all go to a Costco warehouse in the southeast. And then the Costco warehouse in the southeast delivers to all their own stores. Now, right now, if you sell Budweiser at Costco, you have to deliver Budweiser to all of those specific stores. But what Budweiser is saying is, why are we doing that? We can just deliver truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of Budweiser to a Costco warehouse, and they can send it out themselves. Well, they can't do that because that's technically delivering directly to a retailer right now, so that moves around the three-tier system. But legislation is in, in work, so that, that can actually be allowed. Where the Costco or Sam's Club can act as a distributor as well as a retailer, which they do anyway for all of their other goods. This is just taking it one step further and doing it for alcohol as well. So it's a really interesting step closer to this vertical integration system of the past, uh, which has really uh, been linked to, you know, like I think I said before, a lot of binge drinking. This is actually something that's going on in the UK right now. The UK has had the vertical integration system uh, of distribution for the past century just like the u.s. used to have and they're actually working on trying to come closer to a three-tier system in order to make alcohol distribution more inefficient and thus get away from their big binge drinking problem so the future of small house distributorships i think are the really interesting thing because the small house ones are really the ones that are craft brand focused anyway they're the ones that are um, you know they're moving a lot of craft they might have one or two big craft brands uh, stone or lagunitas or new belgium or something like that um, Though most of those big craft distributors or craft brands opt to go with big house distribution because of the wide footprint that they have, some of the small house distributors are really looking at um, picking up big brands and trying to push them as wide as possible. And they're really going to have to rely a lot more on craft brands and uh, the growth in the craft sector in order to survive as the big two start pushing down more and more of their uh, brands onto the big uh, distributors, and also um, this great consolidation game that they're playing, right? Um, as I said in last week's, uh, talking about Goose Island, or I guess that was two weeks ago, talking about the Goose Island merger uh, into ABNBEV. InBev, that brand is coming into the market as a craft brand, even though it's technically an ABNBEV InBev brand, and so they are getting moved the same way AB InBev is getting moved by the Bud distributors, uh, but they're not technically a craft brand. Uh, even though they look like a craft brand. So the small houses are going to have to really uh, you know, deal with this in a much different way by snapping up a lot more craft brands and starting to move a lot more variety. And I think that most small breweries will have to look at scrapping flagship brands and sticking to seasonals in because that's what really uh, sells often. You know, the big spikes... In sales, every year tend to be seasonal areas. Um, you know, fall is really huge because we get all these pumpkin beers and stuff like this. Uh, and I think that that's where craft is strongest. The agility of craft is is strongest, and so is that uh, ability to make something new. It's that's the one place that craft really has a way to move forward that the big guys don't. So. Uh, that is a, a long uh, and rambly look at the three-tier system. I think it's a really fascinating uh, part of the market and one that probably I'll come back to over time. It's one that I actually think about quite a bit, uh, you know, ma- namely because I'm in the middle of it now, uh, but also because it's this really complex, fascinating piece of the market that is uh, constantly evolving, especially over the past years. You've seen a lot of uh, evolution within the craft business uh, and the distribution business and the way breweries... Uh, deal with distributors and the way distributors are acting in the market. Uh, it's the the, basically the battleground between the big guys and the small guys are going to be in the distribution centers and uh, that's going to be where we really see the future of beer defined over the next three to five years so I think it's going to be a really fascinating thing to watch. Uh, so we'll move on from there into a completely different direction next week but uh, there's your look at the three tier system. Thanks for listening and I will talk to you next time.